as excited for Lent to start on Wednesday. <laughs> Woo, there it is, Mardi Gras is Tuesday. Awesome. Man, Lent starts this Wednesday, Mardi Gras is Tuesday, all right? And Mardi Gras is this this custom that has grown up around the beginning of Lent, and this is this time, Mardi Gras is like, hey, let's do all the things that we're going to fast from <laughs> during Lent, all right? Uh, so Lent is this countercultural Christian season, and it starts on Wednesday with this riveting day known as Ash Wednesday. Sounds exciting, right? Okay. Um, but Lent is, is this countercultural kind of Christian season, okay? It doesn't, it doesn't have its own theme songs, okay? No, like, radio station is going to play, like, constant Lent music. <laughs> you know, TBS isn't running 24 hours of your favorite Lent movie. Not going to happen, all right? Lent is this countercultural Christian season that the, the, the traditions of Lent are repentance and fasting. Repentance and fasting. You can see why there hasn't been a lot of commercialism to build up around that, right? Repentance and fasting is 40 days leading up to Easter. The celebration of Easter. And so for the 40 days leading up to Easter, Christians throughout the generations have observed that time of turning their focus towards the cross. And as they turn their focus towards the cross and we make this journey with Jesus towards his death. We spend those 40 days mourning over our own brokenness. Over our own desperate need for God. It's why it begins on Ash Wednesday. Christians uh, traditionally will get the mark of the cross in ashes on their head. And it's this sign of of embracing the reality of our own frailty and our desperate need for God. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Without him, we are nothing. We are dead. He is our life. So it's this season of fasting. And preparing ourselves for the cross. That begins this Wednesday. One of the traditions that we have as a church started last year. This is our second year, so that makes it a tradition, all right? Is our friend Sarah Paxson has done an awesome job of pulling together a Lent devotional. And so on your way out, yeah, let's give it up for that. Awesome. On your way out today, you're going to get one of these, and we challenge you to begin. So this is part one, all right? So it's the first 20 days, and then you're going to get the second installment later. So you got to come back for that one, all right? <laughs> Season two coming soon, all right? And so, so for 40 days, we walk through this together, and you're going to hear testimonies and stories from people within our church family, and we're speaking to each other, and we're challenging each other and convicting each other. And building each other up through this. So I encourage you to walk with us through that. I also challenge you to pray about what God might ask you to fast from during this season. Fasting is not a hunger strike to get God's attention. You already have that. You already have his full attention and his full affection. It's not a way of convincing him to do something for you. He's already poured out his grace and the unmerited favor of God on us through the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's a way of orienting our hearts and anchoring our hearts to the cross again. And reminding us of of our 
desperate need to surrender to him. That's what it's about. So for many of us in our culture, when we fast from food, it's actually not an act of surrender. It's an act of control. So for many of us, the idea of food is surrounded by this thought of control. And if that's you, then I would encourage you not to fast from food, fast from something else. That will that will challenge surrender in your life because it's not about control. It's about releasing control and surrendering. So join us on this journey for Lent. It's not going to get a lot of hype. But it's this deep journey towards the cross. God will use this time to reshape us as a church family and as individual believers walking in discipleship with him. Jesus, help us in that. And we pray for a time of depth during the season of Lent. We're not asking for massive growth. We're not asking for um, massive inspiration. We're asking for depth, and that's something different. And so we pray that you would take us into that season as we begin this journey of Lent. Lead us today as we wrap up this series that we've been in. And we just pray that you would guide us and direct us, that you would speak your word today, that it would be about what you have to say and nothing else. Help us to hear you and help us to respond in obedience to what we hear. See your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we've been in this series called The Heart, and today we are closing that out. The Heart. And we talk often here, and you heard Justin say it earlier, our name is our mission, to love Chapel Hill with the heart of Jesus. But what do we mean when we say that? What do we mean when we say to love Chapel Hill with the heart of Jesus? So we've been exploring what the heart of Jesus looks like, what the shape of the heart of Jesus is for us, and what our marks are as a church. We've been talking about the culture of this church and the culture of the kingdom of God as we see Jesus lay that out for us and live that out for us in the Gospels. Culture is important. We often talk about the idea of vision, right, in our dreams for the future, in our vision for the future, and that's crucial for us, but culture is more important than vision. Culture is more important than vision. It beats vision out every single time because vision is a dream of the future and who you want to become someday. Culture is who you are right now. Culture is what drives the decisions you make every single day. And many of us never accomplish the vision for the future that we have because of the culture of today. And because we don't have the right culture to get there, you're never going to get there. And so what we talk about most here is culture. What does it mean to live it out every single day? The things that that determine the decisions we make right now. So that's what we've been unpacking together. We've talked about the idea of intentional incarnation, that Jesus lays out the pattern for us, that Jesus comes to us with the message, and he challenges us to do the same in our community, not just to ask people to come to this church, but we're a church that's been, that is being sent out, and we're going to the community and taking the message to them, just as Jesus laid it out for us, okay? So that means that the varsity absolutely is like our cathedral, right, in our meeting place, but we see the sidewalks of Franklin Street as our hallways, we see the downtown restaurants as our classrooms, and Chapel Hill is the lobby, all right? 
This is the church. And so out there, we are about, okay? Absolutely, it's important for us to come together and worship and engage in lifting God up in worship. But we don't see Sunday as the last day of the week. It always bugs me when calendars put Sunday as the last day of the week. No, it's the first day of the week. So the week isn't structured to, man, I just got to make it to Sunday. No, no, no. Sunday is designed to send us out into the week. We need a reorientation of the way we see that. Okay, so absolutely it's important for us to engage and listen to lift God up in worship and to be fed by the word and be challenged by the word. But we have to begin to put it into practice and live it out there. So number one, intentional incarnation. Number two, reckless love. Reckless of sometimes the most eloquent articulation of the gospel is a love that gives itself away. That's what people need to see. It's what people need to experience. It's what will convince and compel people. It is the most compelling evidence. Number three, radical hospitality. We want to be a place where the outsiders are the insiders and the forgotten are the first thought, where the last get moved to the front of the line, a place of radical hospitality. Number four, courageous generosity. We want to put our money where our mission is. We understand that everything we have is a gift to God. And we want to be open to give that back. Number five, re- optimistic grace. Optimistic grace, as we talked about last week. Jesus is the narrow gate. The gate is narrow, but the grace is deep. Jesus is the narrow road. The, the road is narrow, but it is long, and it stretches to the ends of the earth. And everyone can be reached by the grace of God. Everybody can be transformed by the grace of God. And once it grabs a hold of your life, it will not quit until you are fully transformed from the inside out. That's what we believe about the grace of Jesus. And now today we're wrapping it up and closing it out with this idea of missional discipleship. Missional discipleship. Now we need to define that term, okay? Because missional is a weird word. And if you try to type it, it'll tell you that you spelled it wrong, okay? Okay. Missional is a weird word, but here's what we mean by that term, okay? It simply means this. It means that the organizing principle of this church is the mission of God. That instead of being a church that is focused inward, we want to be a church that is focused outward. And that's what we see lived out in the life of Jesus. That's simply what it means, that our impulse and the driving force is the mission of God. God. We are compelled by that. We are grabbed by that. And we want to live that out. That's what we mean. So today we're looking at Matthew chapter 9 verses 35 through 39. And we get a glimpse of what this looks like to live out missional discipleship. Here it goes. Okay. Starting with verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. This is the heart of the good shepherd seeing these people and he sees them as sheep without a shepherd. He wants them to know that he is their good shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Let's take this verse by verse here. We start there uh, with verse 35, and we catch a glimpse of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. We get a vision 
of Jesus-style discipleship, okay? Jesus is leading his disciples through the villages, through the towns. They're interacting with people. They're proclaiming the message of the kingdom, that the kingdom of God is here. And and people are being healed. People are being touched. And, And so Jesus is taking the message out into the community, and his disciples are going with him. So many times when we talk about discipleship in the church, we boil it down to information. And we make it more about just getting more knowledge. Okay, it's important for us to grow in our knowledge and our understanding of Scripture. But at some point, we've got to do something with what we're learning. And this is what we see Jesus doing. He's taking his disciples out into the community. Right now, I think we have, uh, we are drowning in knowledge. We have so much access to knowledge, right? All of our favorite teachers, we can listen to everything they've ever said on a podcast. I do this too. I'm guilty of it too, right? We, got, we, we, we have all of our favorite authors at our fingertips. We have all the way back to the church fathers and things that they were writing that we can access right here with our phones. Like it's in our pockets. The full collection of Christian knowledge throughout history in our pockets. But what are we doing with it? What are we doing with it? We are drowning in knowledge, but there is a drought of obedience. We have to respond with obedience to what Jesus is teaching us. And so I love what we get here. So uh, 35, chapter, uh, chapter 9, verse 35 sums up like the chapters 8 and 9. Okay, and so if you look at what happens in chapters eight and nine, you get it boiled down right there in verse thirty five. It's kind of a summary of what has come before. Now, look before that. We've got verses uh, chapters five through seven of Matthew are the Sermon on the Mount that we talked about last week. And so, yes, we've got this moment where the disciples gather around Jesus and he's teaching them and they're listening to what he has to say. But then chapters eight and nine, he's saying, now come with me and let's put this into practice. Come, follow me. That is the call of discipleship. It's not just knowledge. It's also obedience. And you cannot separate the two. You cannot separate the two. And so he takes all the things that he's been teaching them. And he says, now come follow me and let's put them into practice. We see that all throughout the Gospels. So throughout the Gospels, we hear Jesus tell his disciples to care for the poor. But then he shows them what that looks like when he pauses and makes eye contact with the people who are overlooked constantly. And he shows them this is what it looks like to care for the poor. We hear him say, feed the hungry. But then the disciples get to be there when Jesus multiplies the bread and the fish. And they're the ones who are passing it out. And they get to engage with that. And they see it up close, what it actually looks like. And we hear Jesus say, love your neighbor. And they get to see Jesus love in real time, in real life. They see it play out right in front of their eyes. We hear Jesus say, have faith. And then Peter responds when Jesus says, now get out of the boat and walk on the water to me. Put it into practice, knowledge and obedience. They cannot be separated. And we see this laid out right here in verse 35. This is Jesus style discipleship. It's not only a classroom. As we say often here, Jesus moves us beyond the lecture and into the lab to experiment with the things that we are learning. That's what discipleship 
looks like. Discipleship is following Jesus. It's obedience. Yes, it's knowledge, but it's also obedience, and they have to be connected together or we don't have the full picture. So he exposes them in verse 35. It tells us that he has exposed them to the mission field. Right. He's taking them through the villages and the towns. They're interacting with real people and they're watching it play out. So he exposes them to the mission field. And then the next thing he does is he gives them a burden for the mission field. He gives them a burden for the mission field. He shows them what it looks like to have compassion. That he looks at the the crowds of the people and he has compassion. He's moved. Uh, in, in the original Greek language here, the, the sense that we get, it, it says it's located like in the bowels, <laughs> what Jesus is feeling here. It's a guttural response. It is a deep response of compassion that he has moved in the core of who he is when he sees the people. He's moved with compassion. He has a burden for them. And then he begins to share that burden with his disciples, the Pharisees. These are the experts of the law, the the religious elite in the community. The Pharisees looked out at the sinners and they saw them as chaff that would one day be burned away by the judgment of God. Jesus looks out at sinners and he sees a harvest field that he wants to gather to himself. Let us be like Jesus and be friends of sinners. Let our hearts break for sinners because we remember what it was like to be there We remember and we still know our frailty and our desperate need for God. So let our hearts break for people who need him. Jesus had compassion and then he he shared that burden. He showed them what it looked like to have a burden. And then he shared that burden. Here's what he says. Look out. Open your eyes and see the harvest field. Now take the next step and begin to ask God. Pray. Pray and ask God to send out workers into the harvest field. How many of you are willing to do that? Raise your hand if you're willing to pray for God to send out workers into his harvest field. This is commitment time. All right. Are you willing to do that? I want to challenge you to do something with me. I want to challenge you to set an alarm. Every day for 938. All right, Matthew chapter 9, verse 38. Set an alarm for 938 that will go off each day and remind you to pray that the Lord will send out workers into the harvest field. Let's begin to have the same burden that Jesus has. Let's begin to ask him to give that to us and have a burden for that. But here's the trick, all right? Here's the dangerous part of that prayer. The dangerous part of the prayer is this, that yes, in prayer, we give our burdens to God. But in prayer, God also gives his burdens to us. And your heart will begin to break for the people who need to experience the love of Jesus. He will give that burden to you. And what will happen next is what happens in the very next verse. So this chapter, chapter nine, ends with verse 38. And then chapter 10 begins. So in verse 38, he says, pray for God to send out workers into the harvest field. And what happens as chapter 10 begins, Jesus sends those very disciples out into the harvest field. That's the dangerous thing about prayer. All right. It says that the immediate thing he does next is he sends them 
out. Don't just pray, but be ready for God to use you to answer your own prayers. Be ready for God in his power, in his, in his strength. You're not answering the prayer. He's answering the prayer, but he might use you to answer your own prayer. And he sends them out in chapter 10. This is it. Chapter 9 is the training for the mission field. And then in chapter 10, he sends them out. We're going to go back to the drawing board, so to speak, today. All right. We've talked about this several times. But this is how, as a church, we break down uh, what we believe is Jesus's vision for discipleship. Okay, and this is what we've been challenged in. Oftentimes, as the church, we think about discipleship as getting people to move more deeply into the life of the church. And this is what we call discipleship. Hey, I'm glad you're here on Sunday morning. Now we want you to join a small group. That's great. We want you to do that. All right. And now when you answer a lot of questions right in small group, we're going to make you a leader of a small group. And then when you become the leader of a small group, we're going to put you on a committee. And then we're going to put you on a board. And then we're going to give you a key to the church because you're here so much. You spend so much of your week in the church, they give you a key to the church. And then we say, now you've been fully discipled right is to move you deeper into the life of the church now this is important but it cannot be the full vision it is not the full picture of what discipleship looks like instead through the gospels we see this discipleship means following jesus into the heart of the father and we get the call jesus says come follow me the call to discipleship has not changed since the very first disciples that Jesus called, it has not changed. We get the call, and then Jesus makes it very plain, the cost. The cost is this, lay down your life and take up the cross. Lay down your life and take up the cross. But then it doesn't stop there. You get the call, and you get the cost, but you're also given the commission. And in the end of the book of Matthew, Jesus gives the Great Commission, and he says this, now go out and make more disciples. This is mission. D stands for discipleship. M stands for mission. The call, come follow me. The cost, lay down your life and take up the cross. The mission, now go make disciples. Go and make disciples. Here's the thing. Every believer is a disciple. It's not just believing, it's also following Jesus, okay? That's what he calls us to. That's what discipleship means. Every believer is a disciple, but every disciple is a missionary. Every disciple is a missionary, and if you aren't making more disciples, you're not fully a disciple yet. You're not fully a disciple yet. Charles Spurgeon said this, if you're not a missionary, you're an imposter. My dad uh, retired recently after 40 years of ministry, and I got to inherit most of his books, which I am thrilled about. Sarah's not as happy about. <laughs> I'm trying to surround myself with him. But I found in the cover of one of his books, written in the cover, a, a handwritten note that said this. If you're not a missionary, maybe you still need one. If you're not a missionary, maybe you still need one discipleship is not complete until we are also making disciples and then what happens next 
is this begins to move into multiplication. So in mission, we make more disciples, the call, the cost, and then the mission continues to roll out. And here's where it gets into multiplication and it gets way beyond us. And this is when we can start using the term movement. Don't call your gathering of movement. That's not a movement. That's marketing. A movement is when it goes out beyond you. And it gets beyond your control and it's controlled by the power of the Holy Spirit breathing on it and multiplying it out. Multiplication. That first picture we drew is addition. The second picture is multiplication. Got to move in to multiplication as the church. That's what we are called to. Every one of you got a penny as you came in this morning. All right. How many of you put the penny in the offering plate? You thought it was a test. <laughs> it wasn't a trick. All right. It was not a trick. Everyone got a penny today. And here's what it means. All right. Say today you go down the street to Sutton's and you ask them for a job. And they don't actually look into any of your references. So then they hire you. Okay. And, uh, and so they begin to talk to you about the payment plan, all right? And you're like, okay, here's where it gets good, okay? And you begin, you get ready to propose, hey, I'll just get paid in hot dogs, all right? That's what I would like to do at Sutton's. I'll work for free for hot dogs, okay? But they begin to lay out the payment plan, and they said, we'll give you two options. Option A is this. We'll give you $1 million on the first day of work. For the next 31 days, like one million dollars will pay you up front for 31 days for one month of work. We'll pay you one million dollars up front. You can take that one or B, you can take this option. You're going to get one penny on day one. I'll take A. All right. You get one penny on day one, but then we'll double that every day for 31 days. Which are you going to take? A million, all right. Number two, do it. Yes, let Rush be your financial advisor, all right? In option B, here's what happens. It doesn't seem like much. It's a penny. It's something that we overlook every single day. How many of us walk by and don't even bother to bend down and pick a penny up off the ground when we see it there? It means almost nothing, right? I've heard that it costs the U.S. government more to make a penny than a penny is worth, okay? It means almost nothing. That's what it feels like. That's what it seems like to us. But here's the deal. One penny a day doubled every day for 31 days. Here's what your payment plan would look like. Oh, at the end of, of the first week on day seven, you would have 64 cents. And you're really beginning to doubt your decision. Okay. <laughs> at the end of day 14, you're going to have $81.92. You're still feeling very... Uh, like you made the wrong decision. After three weeks on day 21, the number is $10,485.76. Still not coming close to a million. But by the time you go from day 21 to day 31, the number becomes $10,737,418.24. And I'll throw my penny in there to make it a quarter. All right. <laughs> Multiplication. 
the power of multiplication with something as simple and small as a penny. Now, when we begin to talk about the Great Commission and that Jesus says, go in to make disciples of all nations, we get overwhelmed by that. We get intimidated by that. We think, I can't go out and change the entire world. But what if two people? As we talked about before with the chessboard image, right? What about two people? Could you do that? Could you do that? And then what if those two people reach two more? And if those reach two more and and you double it, then it becomes exponential multiplication. And it gets far beyond anything we could imagine or cook up for ourselves. We talked about the chessboard before, but I like the penny better now because it reminds me that the penny is something that I see every single day. It's also something that I overlook every single day. How many opportunities do we overlook? Because they don't seem like they would make a difference. In the power of multiplication, when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of it, then it becomes transformational for the culture around us. Our friend John recently just got back, as a matter of fact, from two weeks in Peru. He went out. He went out. He took the medical skills that he has and, and what he has learned, and he used that to help people who are underserved in Peru. We have our friend Tyler, who has a passion for justice for the oppressed, and so she's given a year of her life in Africa to work for International Justice Mission. We have our friend Taylor, who went to Kenya to be a teacher and then became the principal of a school for girls there in Kenya and is now back in Nairobi helping to start a brand new church in Nairobi called One Tribe Church. We have our friends Danielle and Peyton. Danielle went to New York City to study law at NYU. Peyton went there to follow her dream of being an actor. And now they're both involved in a church planted by our friends, by a partner and and sister church of ours called Resurrection Life Church in New York City. We have our friends here with us today, Spencer and Jordan and John and Jesse, who are helping to plant United City Church in Greensboro. And if any of you are feeling a, a draw to go and be a part of that, then we send you and commission you and celebrate that. Go and help with that. We have our friends Garrett and Shay who lived in Indiana but felt a burden for a town called Durham, and they moved all the way here. And God is birthing something in their heart for Durham. Will you go? Do you have the courage to go? To be a disciple means to follow Jesus, but it also means to be sent out. Come follow me, he says. Take up your cross, he says, and now go and make more disciples will you go maybe for you going actually looks more like staying maybe god isn't calling you to africa maybe he's calling you to your neighbor maybe he's not calling you to go plant a church somewhere else maybe he's calling you to share your story with your coworker. maybe for you going looks more like staying maybe it looks like our friend david taylor who is a teacher in Durham, and every day he walks in his classroom and he walks around his classroom and he prays for the students that he's going to encounter that day. And he prays that he would be a clear representation of Jesus and that they would experience the healing of Jesus. 
in their hurt. Maybe it looks like our friend Tim, who actually spent a part of his life as a missionary around the world. Now he's here back in his hometown. But now the world has come to him. And Tim is helping refugee families who are coming here and trying to start a new life in this community. And he's helping them navigate that. Maybe for you, going looks like staying. What is the opportunity that's right in front of you? Here's what Jesus is challenging us towards very simply today. Just two things. Pray for the harvest. Set your alarm for 938 and pray for the harvest. But beware, he might send you to do it. And number two, you got one of these as you came in today. A love lab that just simply outlines for you in very three very simple ways how to share your Jesus story. It's incredibly simple. It starts, number one, with live a questionable life. I love that. (laughs) Live a questionable life, the kind of life that sparks questions. Number two, uh, don't be afraid to actually answer when you get the question. Point people to Jesus, not just to your own winsome personality. Point people to Jesus. But number three, share your Jesus story. You don't have to have all of the answers Just give them the one answer of what Jesus has done in your life. You don't have to be able to defend all of Christianity. Just talk about your personal experience with Jesus. Because that is something that can't be questioned. That is real to you. And you can share that story. I want to challenge us on those two things. Take this and pray about how you can share. It might look just like a penny to you. Your story might feel so small. But what if you had the imagination to see the multiplication potential in what you have to share? Just two people. Two people in your lifetime. Can you sign up for that? Can you sign up for that? Pray for the harvest. And then be prepared to share your story. Jesus, thank you for the power of what you lay out for us. Of what discipleship looks like. Knowledge is so important. And thank you that you've given us a hunger for that, to know you more. But God, I pray that you would spark in us a desire for obedience, spark in us movement and action to actually respond. And send out, Lord. Help us to recognize the opportunities that we have around us. For some of us, it might mean today we say yes to something you've been stirring in us for years. And we realize we're going to have to pick up and we're going to have to move to some brand new place because that's what you've been calling us to do. And today was the confirmation that we've been waiting for. For others of us, it just opens our eyes to the harvest field that is just around us. That it's full. The potential is so full. God, we pray that you would send us. Send us. Let us be a part of that. Might not feel like we have much to give, maybe just a penny, something that we overlook. But help us to see the power of that when it's given to you and the way you can multiply it into transformation. In your name we pray. Amen.